1: It if you haven't figured it out yet there's a serious blessings that come our way simply because we are part of the elect of God and that needs to be man rolled back in our mind continually we are part of the elect of God when the world's beating you down when your flesh drags you down you need to be reminded I'm part of the elect of God that needs to be an encouragement. The very word elect means chosen. It speaks of the fact that God chose them just as he had chosen Israel and just as he's chosen you and I.
0: The Bible says that Christians are chosen men and women of God. In today's encouraging message, Pastor David reminds us of all the precious promises that we receive through Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us to comfort, help, guide, and teach. Christians are co-heirs with Christ and have access to all heavenly blessings that help us live godly abundant lives. When life gets tough, we know that Jesus, our high priest, constantly makes intercession for his people and is our daily advocate before the throne of God. Now here's Pastor David with part two of today's message, Strangers in the World, from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1.
1: There's a lot of ways that he himself could have introduced himself, and I'm sure that those that would be reading his letter, they would have recognized him if he would have introduced himself, say as, hey, this is Simon Peter, the fisherman. You remember Andrew's brother. Or perhaps he could have introduced himself this way. Hey, this is Peter, the one, and by the way, the only one of the disciples that ever walked on water. You remember me, don't you? He could have just as easily said, I, this is Peter, the apostle with foot and mouth disease. I'm the one that rebuked Jesus. You probably remember that. I'm the one that Jesus turned around to, looked me square in the face, and said, get behind me, Satan. Peter the bold, that's who I am. I'm the one that cut off Malchus's ear. Or he could have simply said, Hi, this is Peter, the one that publicly denied Jesus. There's a lot of ways Peter could have identified himself, but he said, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In that introduction, the second thing that we see is that title of apostle. Peter clearly states that he has authority to make certain proclamations to the church when he identifies himself as an apostle. It states that he was among the ones that were chosen, the ones that were sent out particularly as direct representatives of Jesus Christ for the work of the gospel. Apostle, in the strictest meaning of the word, simply means a messenger or a delegate. And yet we realize that these apostles were much more than mere errand boys for Jesus, They were his commissioned ambassadors. They were the ones who would be speaking his message and coming in his authority, coming as his direct representatives. And yet at the same time, we find that Peter doesn't state this title to place himself in some kind of superiority status. As a matter of fact, we find very quickly as we read his letter, he includes himself in those pronouns of we and and us. His position as apostle was a position of responsibility and authority. There's no doubt about that. But it was not a position of superiority. He was simply called by God for that purpose. And much the same way that we shared with you a few weeks ago that my position as pastor, any of our positions as pastors or leaders within the fellowship doesn't place us in any kind of a superior situation. It's just the reality of God's calling and and placement on our lives. You and I, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And one thing I realized that the ground uh, at the foot of the cross is always level that there is no superiority, there's no one lesser, that we are all equal in Christ. He writes to those that are pilgrims, those that are strangers, those that are resident aliens in the world. As we did the introduction a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about this idea of being resident aliens. They're there in this place. We're here on this earth, but this old earth is not our home. We're just a passing through. We've got a greater home that awaits us. Peter wanted to encourage them just as he wants to encourage us as we read this book today some 2,000 years after it's been written. He wants to encourage them to remember that we're not permanent residents on this earth. That we are in the world, but we should never be a part of it. In verse 1, he tells them that they're strangers to the world. But then in verse 2... He reminds them that, yeah, though you're a stranger, you need to also realize that you are among the elect of God. He writes to all believers. Yet this particular letter, when it was penned, went to those who were scattered over a region that we now know as Turkey. You can look on a map and you can find where Turkey is today, and it's in that area that this letter was written to to the churches there. In the midst of that scattering, these believers had faced an enormous amount of persecution, and Peter is writing to them to encourage them during this time of persecution. Down in verse six, Peter speaks about these various trials. You need to understand that these were men and women who needed to be encouraged, and yet they, and, and in that encouragement, they needed to be reminded of who they were. And there's a lot of times you and I in our lives, if we're being beaten up by the world or Again, as our own flesh drags us down, we just simply need to be reminded who we are in Christ. And we need to be encouraged by that fact that we are the elect in Christ. And again, God has a greater plan and a greater purpose for us. Beloved, if you haven't figured it out yet, there's a serious blessings that come our way simply because we are part of the elect of God. And that needs to be Man, rolled back in our mind continually. We are part of the elect of God. When the world's beaten you down, when your flesh drags you down, you need to be reminded, I'm part of the elect of God. And that needs to be an encouragement. The very word elect means chosen. It speaks of the fact that God chose them just as he had chosen Israel and just as he's chosen you and I. It's a God thing. And none of us were worthy of His choice. None of us were. I look around there, I see that none of us were. (laughs) None of us are really prizes, are we? And yet God chose us. The greatness of His love reached down through the garbage that is our life and says, I want that one. He chose us, as Peter says. We are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And what Peter writes here is in absolute full agreement with what Paul states many times in his writing. In Paul's writings to the church of Ephesus in chapter 1, declares that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And there are some people that that look at that and they try to, uh, again, figure out this whole thing of uh, the, the, the foreknowledge of God. And they say, well, what God did is God looked down through the corridors of time and saw that I would pick him. Therefore, God picked me. Do you know what that does? That puts all of it on my end, doesn't it? Rather than saying, no, God chose me with foreknowledge of knowing who I was. And how much I'd screw things up, and how bad my life was. Yet God, in his foreknowledge, still chose. Still chose. You see, the word of God is clear, both Old Testament as as well as New Testament. That it's the work of God, it's not the work of man. Paul continually refers to it, the book of not only Ephesians, but also in Romans, in Romans 9, verses 15 and 16. You don't have time to look at it, but you can write it down and look at it later. Paul writes that God spoke to Moses, and he said, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So Paul then sums it up, and he says, So then, it's not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. May be a mind opener for some of you. It may be really stretching for some of you, but it's the word of God. Later, Paul writes to Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, he writes and says that God has saved us, and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which has which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began and there's a multitude of places again in old testament new testament that speak of the work of god's election due to his great sovereignty now what that ought to do for you and i is that that ought to be a great encouragement to us Not to go and live a life like a child of hell, but to live a life continually as a child of the king because the king knows us. He knows our tomorrows even when we don't. And he knows that, yeah, even though I chose that one, I know that one's going to fail and he's going to stumble and he's going to struggle. But yet my love continues to reach out to him. He's mine. Now, we can disagree with this idea of foreknowledge, and predestination, and election of God. We can argue with it, but, beloved, we can't deny it because it's throughout the word of God. God, is a, God has a predetermined plan and a purpose for our lives, and it is not determined by the will of man. So the argument a lot of us have is, again, how, how, how can this thing of election and predestination, how can this all work? Doesn't man have a free will? This is the argument of the ages that goes on and on. The sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. How can they coexist? And yet, beloved, the scriptures speak clearly of each one. And just as Christian there in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, he had to choose to proceed down the path to the celestial city. Each individual has to choose to follow that call of Christ. We need to respond to that wooing of the Holy Spirit. For you see, we also read that there is a multitude of whosoever's throughout Scripture. Again, Old Testament and New Testament. Matthew 10, Jesus speaking. He says that, therefore, whosoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done Greek studies or used some helps that you can look at Greek words and find out the deeper of the meanings. Every once in a while I use those not to impress you because I know a lot of Greek, but just simply because I I read it and I want to give it to you. You can look at the depth of what that Greek word that is translated as whosoever means, and you know what that really and truly means in the Greek language? Whosoever. (laughs) Whosoever. That means whoever believes, whoever confesses. Does that then limit God? No. Makes it great and wide. So again, this thing. John, in, in, in the Gospel of John, John writes in chapter 3, the most familiar portion of passage probably even, not only for believers, but even for unbelievers. John writes not in 16, but let's back up one verse. John 3, 15. John writes that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved a portion of the world. No, that's not what it says, is it? That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that if the elect believe in him, that's not what it says, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. On that day of Pentecost, Peter, the very author of, of the book that we're studying now, Peter declared to a multitude of people the openness and the width of God's call to everyone who would listen, to everyone who would receive it. He reminded the people of the words of the Old Testament prophet Joel as he declared in Acts chapter 2, verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Paul uses that very same scripture from Joel chapter 2 verse 32 as he writes in Romans chapter 10. Now this is interesting when you think of of, of Paul's line of thought. In Romans chapter 9, he speaks very much of the predestination and of the direction and the purpose of God himself calling man. But then in chapter 10... Paul speaks in verse 12 that there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. And then in verse 13 he says, for whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So how do you reconcile these things? I'll tell you how I do it. I don't. (laughs) I don't even try to reconcile these things. Because I know within Scripture the declaration of the sovereignty of God and the predetermined will of God is evident. But I also know that there is a place and a time that each person needs to call upon the name of the Lord. Each person needs to choose this day whom you will serve. It's there within it. I simply have to stand in agreement with what we read in Places like Isaiah 55, as the Lord speaks to Isaiah and to the people in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. And God says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. King David, who wrote most of the Psalms, he writes in Psalm 139, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. Even in the wisdom and the intellect of a man like the Apostle Paul. He still declares now in, in chapter 11, so you see the progress here from chapter 9, the predetermined, the predestined will of God, chapter 10, the wideness of the call, now chapter 11 of Romans, verses 33 and 36. It's Paul who writes, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways are past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? Or who is first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Are there going to be difficulties that we find within the Word of God? Yeah. So do we let that stumble, or do we realize that our God is much greater than our comprehension? If we're able to see these things, which I believe that we can as we read openly the word of God. But if we take it and then we try to box it up, we try to form it together in nice, neat, orderly uh, fashion according to our own logic, guess what? God blows the top off the box. As a matter of fact, in reality, he blows the box completely away. Beloved, if you've got God figured out, then guess what? You've got a way too small a God. If you have that, man, God only moves in this way and only in this form and in this fashion, then you have limited God to a creature of your own creation rather than the greatness of Almighty God. We also see in this same verse, verse 2 of, of First Peter, that's where we're at, by the way, we're in First Peter uh, chapter 1. We we see in First Peter in, in verse two this whole idea of the Trinity. Now a lot of people say, Yeah, the Trinity is never mentioned in the Bible at all. But beloved, it is mentioned throughout the Bible. From Genesis on through Revelation, and we see it again here in this second verse. God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son, all of them working together in purpose, and yet they're distinct in their position. Look at it again, if you would, in verse 2. It speaks that we are the elect according to the foreknowledge of whom? God the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of? Jesus Christ very distinctly three different ones that Peter brings out here. The Father elects, and yet it's the Holy Spirit who woos us, who draws us away from the world, then sets us aside for those holy purposes. That's that sanctification. Sets us aside for obedience. That's that walk that we're to be walking. Sanctification. So often it speaks about the process of us growing in our relationship in God, our maturing, our growing in holiness. But here in this passage, sanctification, speaks about that initial work of conversion, taking us out of the world and into the kingdom of light. This is the work of sanctification of the Spirit. This then leads us to that path of obedience and righteousness. And this all has to be completed, or it's actually made possible by the sacrifice of Christ, that sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. All of this is completed. It's made possible. Because of Christ in you, the very hope of glory. The blood of Christ which cleanses us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Christ which is the vehicle for the work of sanctification. A little bit later in the chapter, Peter reminds us that we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. But as he says in verse 19, he says, But we're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, without spot. God the Father... God the Spirit, God the Son, yet one God who is manifested co-equally, co-eternal, and co-powerfully. three distinct personages, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Three distinct, yet one in substance, same in essence and the same in nature. They're united in purpose, yet they're diverse in position. Beloved, you and I are on pilgrimage. If you've called out to Christ for the forgiveness of your sin, you've become a believer and you're now on that journey. You and I, we are strangers in this land. This land is no longer home. Yet we are the elect of God, elect by his design, called for his Purposes. God knew this before time even began back in eternity past. We are pilgrims on a journey, on a journey that's leading us to that blessed celestial city, that city that has foundations, that city whose builder and maker is God. But for the time being, we live in this land that's filled with all kinds of traps. All kinds of snares filled with the sloughs of despondence. You've got to read Pilgrim's Progress to know what the slough of despondence is. (laughs) Times of doubting, the deceitfulness of legalism, the lure of worldliness and shortcuts, and the loud cries of the flesh. Yet it's that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit that equips us, that empowers us to be able to stay the course, to finish the race, to remain focused on Christ, who is our great reward.
0: Standing strong in the midst of persecution is a theme throughout the New Testament. Many of the newly created churches faced opposition from the world around them and were in danger of turning away from their faith due to these confrontations. It isn't a surprise that the book of 1 Peter also addresses this subject. Peter wanted to encourage new believers and remind them of the truth they had learned, that Jesus lived and died for the salvation of every person on earth. Sadly, persecution didn't die out through the ages. The enemy is still doing his best to derail the message of the gospel. Today, we want you to be encouraged as well. As a follower of Jesus, you will face persecution sooner or later. Stand firm in your faith, leaning on Jesus' truth for your source of strength and comfort. One way you can find support and encouragement in any season of your life is by getting involved in a local church. With that in mind, Pastor David has an invitation for
1: you. Well, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith. It's given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area, you're looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Savior and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse growing closer to him each week.
0: Thanks, Pastor David. And thank you for tuning in today to The Open Word.